Welcome to the Congress Author Podcast Series, brought to you by the Cytokine Signaling Forum, where authors review their Congress posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. This edition, recorded at ACR 2019 in Atlanta, focuses on tofacitinib and baricitinib. In the first presentation, Professor Kramer presents real-world safety data for tofacitinib, which is then followed by two presentations from Professor Taylor and Professor Dugados reviewing pain relief in patients using baricitinib and tofacitinib. My name is Dr. Joel Kremer. I've been doing clinical research uh, for a very long time. Uh, we'll leave it at that. So this was this, a real-world safety study done in the Corona Registry looking at adverse events, maize, serious infectious events, herpes zoster, venous thromboembolism, DVTs, and PE. In a propensity trend population, uh, biologic DMARDs, very large numbers, with uh, TOFA Virtually 2,000 patients starting with TOFA. 8,400 patients on biologic DMARC. This is in the unmatched population. And then we trend for similar disease activity, as well as a lot of other comorbidities which could affect the outcomes of interest, MACE events, VTEs. What we found with lots and lots of observations is that the only true difference, and this is adjusted means has trimmed was with zoster, as you would expect. However, when we looked at VTE, DVTs, and PEs over a five-year period with enormous numbers of observations, here's the patient years. They go from 3,100 for VTEs to 12,000 with biologic DMARDs that there was virtually no difference in the incidence of VTs and DVTs over a five-year period. So this is uh, Peter Taylor from the University of Oxford uh, talking at the ACR 2019 meeting about our post hoc study from the RA Beam study looking at pain relief with baricitinib in comparison with placebo and adalinumab. So let me just take you briefly through the RA Beam study as by way of a reminder. This was a phase three registration study in methotrexate refractory patients in which baricitinib four milligrams once daily was compared with adalinumab at the standard dose and placebo placebo in a three-arm study. Placebo was given for six months, and if the patients uh, stayed on placebo to that point, they were then advanced to active drug with baricitinib. All patients were on background methotrexate. Now, I'm sure you'll all recall that in the RA Beam study that there was a very rapid differentiation for symptoms and signs for baricitinib over placebo as early as one week. And in fact, baricitinib met statistical superiority in a predefined statistical analysis plan over adalinumab and, and indeed was the first small molecule to have shown superiority over adalinumab. 
What we noticed when we look at the data in detail was that there seemed to be a particularly marked pain relief with baricitinib, and we decided to explore this further. So the first thing we did was to look at modelling to see to what extent the swollen joint counts and acute phase markers could account for proportion of pain relief with either placebo, adalinumab or baricitinib. And what we found was that baricitinib and adalinumab very similarly modulated acute phase markers and swollen joint counts, but the difference between outcomes in the two drugs was in fact largely due to the pain relief on the patient-reported outcomes. In the study that I'm presenting here at ACR, we decided to look at the magnitude of improvement in clinical outcomes, either CDI, SDI, DAS28CRP, or the swollen joint count, tender joint count, or CRP, with any of the three treatment arms, placebo, adalidumab, or baricitinib, and to ask the question, what degree of pain relief do you get for a given degree of reduction in these parameters? And just by way of illustration uh, for the purpose of this discussion, let me focus on swollen joint counts. So if your patients did very well on either placebo, adalidumab, or baricitinib, and achieved zero swollen joint counts, they got about 20 points of improvement on placebo in pain relief, but they got over 35 points of improvement in pain relief with adalinumab and baricitinib, and in fact baricitinib gave a numerically greater pain relief than adalinumab for those patients achieving no swollen joints. But the point here is that the difference when your inflammation suppression is complete was relatively small between baricitinib and adalinumab. If, on the other hand, patients exhibited a clinical response but still had a number of residual swollen joints, so let's take the example of 12 residual swollen joints, then in fact placebo gave you a relatively modest pain relief, something less than 20 out of 100. Um, adalinumab gave about 20 out of 100 millimetres of pain relief, but baricitinib gave about 10 more points or thereabouts uh, of, of pain relief. And if you had more residual inflammatory response in terms of swollen joint counts or CRP, again the differential between adalinumab and baricitinib became more marked. So what this implies is that baricitinib or JAK1-2 inhibition has an effect on pain relief that is different from the effect of TNF blockade. And this may imply that uh, baricitinib is giving relief for non-inflammatory pain, for example mechanical pain. Or alternatively, another hypothesis is that although pain is a generic feature of inflammation, it could be that not all inflammatory pathways give symptomatic relief when modulated for the pain component of inflammation in the same way. So it might be that JAK1-2 pathways actually give a bigger proportion of inflammatory-related pain relief than is the case with uh, TNF inhibition. But at the moment, these are hypotheses that need further exploration. But the clinically relevant conclusion from this post-hoc study is simply that if your patient has uh, a response to therapy but some residual disease activity measure, that the magnitude of pain relief is likely to be greater with baricitinib than is the case for TNF blockade. I am Maxime Degados. I'm currently a rheumatologist based in Paris, but today I am in, in Atlanta attending the ACR meeting 2019. And this morning I had the opportunity to present and to defend the poster on the, the, the question concerning residual pain and the potential effect of uh, JAK inhibitors. 
So the, the first thing, the residual pain. What do we call residual pain? In fact, when we have a patient with a chronic inflammatory rheumatic disease, in particular polyarthritis with inflammation, we treat this patient, but sometimes, despite the fact that when we see again the patient without completely abrogation of inflammation from a doctor's perspective, that is, no synovitis, normal CRP, nevertheless, the patient is still uh, complaining of pain. So that is what we call the residual pain. That is the pain remaining despite the abrogation of inflammation. So the first question is why? It's not so easy to answer this question. Of course, it's easy to answer when the patient, you start the treatment in a patient with a previously at baseline, there was structural damage, structural articular damage because of previous inflammation. And then you abrogate the inflammation, but the pain is there because of osteoarthritis, that is because of the cartilage breakdown. But nowadays, when we treat our patients, sometimes there is no structural damage. At least we do not see any cartilage breakdown. But still, the patient is complaining of pain. Two other possibilities to explain the remaining pain. The first one, some pain doctors say that any chronic painful condition can induce a central sensitization. The question, if you abrogate the reason of the, the, the pain, whether the central sensitization will be reversible or not. So the first thing. Another possibility is that whether or not there can be a reversible structural damage at the, at the joint level. In other words, any inflammation might induce an irreversible terminal nerve within the synovial tissue, structural damage. And if it is true, we can explain easily the persistence of pain. That's the concept. The second thing is that whether or not JAK inhibitors have an analgesic additive effect on the top of the anti-inflammatory effect. And that was the rationale of the study I have presented. We can, we, we, I asked Pfizer to have access to their database. And first here, we are presenting the preliminary data on, on a trial on psoriatic arthritis, comparing adalimumab, placebo, and tofacitinib. So in this data, we first select the patient in whom we have observed a complete progression of inflammation after three months of therapy, and then we show a small number of patients because it's a strange outcome, zero spherential count and normal CRP. So, and we confirm the data that adalimumab and Tofa are better than placebo. That's, and then you look at this patient and you check the pain at three months, whether the change in pain or the absolute value of pain, which is a residual pain. And here it's very preliminary, but it seems that there is no added value when you compare adalimumab and placebo. It doesn't mean that adalimumab doesn't work. Adalimumab does work. But the, it seems that the improvement in pain is only explained by the improvement of inflammation with adalimumab. With Tofa, there is numerically a trend in favor of an extra effect. So here, it's a potential small argument today, I recognize, that there is effectively an analgesic effect of the JAK, which is done because it has been shown with baricitinib and now with potentially tofacitinib, and potentially it's a JAK analgesic class effect. Thank you for listening to this edition of Congress Author Podcasts. 
make sure to subscribe to the CSF podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss out on more ACR 2019 content coming soon. If you found this informative, why not listen to our other podcasts, which include author interviews and a monthly review of the latest cytokine signaling papers hosted by the CSF Steering Committee Chair, Professor McInnes. You can also visit cytokinesignaling.com for access to a wide range of free educational resources, including monthly slide summaries of the latest papers, accredited CME courses and Congress highlights.